Heavenly Father, as we come to your scriptures, deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Your testimonies are our delight. And by Christ's spirit, may they be our counselors now. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. If you'd please turn with me in God's word to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to begin our reading together at verse 36 and consider this passage in connection with Lord's Day 49. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning our reading at verse 36, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be very sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Uh, We probably have no better example of praying thy will be done than we have from our Lord in the garden as he's facing the cross and what awaits him. Um, And it's one of the important petitions of the Lord's prayer uh, that we consider thy will be done. Um, It's a difficult prayer to pray in some ways. Um, To turn yourself over to the Lord is not necessarily always an easy thing to do. Um, It certainly was not for our Lord in this moment, for he knew what it meant if he had to surrender his will to the will of his Father. Um, But he gives us an example of how we should pray. I'm an example of how we should pray, particularly, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, One of the things that we immediately begin to see when we study the Lord's Prayer is it's divided into six petitions. The first three are really about God. Um, They're all necessary for our body and soul, But the first three really have to do with our Lord. Um, We pray first for God's glory. We pray secondly for God's kingdom. And now we pray, as as we're going to study tonight, God's will be done. Um, Only after we've prayed those things do we pray for ourselves, uh, for our provision, uh, for daily bread, for our pardon, for the forgiveness of sins, for our protection, uh, that God would keep us from evil. Um, we only pray for ourselves after we've already prayed for these things. But we, we pray these prayers for God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. And the more we think about these things, we see how interconnected they are. There's a close relationship between 
all of those things. Uh, John Calvin pointed out, there's a close connection and resemblance between these first three petitions. The glory of the name of God is always connected with his kingdom. And the most important part of his kingdom lies in his will being done. Um, and I think that's a great way to think of uh, these, these, these petitions and how they run together. There's an intimate connection between the glory of God's name, his kingdom, and his will being done. Um, and so there's a marvelous connection between these three things that we're mindful of um, everything, every time that we pray for. We want the world to submit to the kingdom of God. We want the world to submit to the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means following your king and doing what he's told us to do, doing his will. We want to see his will done more and more as perfectly done on earth as the angels do it in heaven. Um, and so there's a marvelous and beautiful connection between all of these things that remind us just how much we need the glory of God's name, the coming of his kingdom, and the doing of his will. Um, and so we see these things connected, and it's important for us to see that this is our earnest prayer, all of these things connected together, that God's name would be glorified, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're studying in Lord's Day 49, to think about what does it mean when we pray, thy will be done? How are we to understand those things? Um, because God's will gives us a program for life. It tells us what we are to be about in this life, doing God's will. Uh, so I think that's the first thing we can see in this petition, that the, the, the program for life that God gives us in his will. Um, and then we also see the purpose for doing God's will. Um, <clears throat> we see the purpose revealed to us as we go through. So that's how I want to think about a little bit this petition, the program for doing God's will and the purpose of doing God's will. Um, how is this program presented to us in, in, the, in Lord's Day 49? Um, well, it has really two parts, to renounce our own wills and to obey God's will, which alone is good. Uh, so it involves those two aspects of renouncing our wills and doing what God wills for us to do. Um, and that's what, that's what Jesus is wrestling with in his petition. Um, to, to do what is the will of his Father and to know what the will of his Father involves. Uh, to, to wrestle with um, his desire and what his Father's will is. And when those two are in, could be in competition in some sense as he's struggling over this difficulty, he, he says, if it comes down to it, not my will but your will be done. Um, and this is a very a very human thing for the Lord Jesus Christ to say, a very important thing for him to express, that he has a will as a human being, just as we have wills as human beings, but he's willing to submit his will to the Father's will. Um, that he says, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And if it's not possible and I must drink this cup, then your will be done. Right, that's, that's renouncing his own will as a human being and subjecting himself to his father's will because he knows, even, even though he knows what that means for him, and even though he entreats with his father um, falling on his face, right, greatly troubled and sorrowful, um, knowing the, the extent of what awaits him better than we can ever understand it, he still is willing to do that rather than to transgress the will of his father. 
Um, it's an amazing and remarkable example that we see in Christ. Um, and it's kind of a tragic example we see in the disciples. Uh, that they can't do his will for uh, very long without falling asleep. Um, and we have that important reminder from our Lord in this moment that even, even then he still is a teacher, a compassionate teacher to his disciples and says, you know, that's our problem is that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We probably recite that often uh, when we, we catch ourselves in sin. We think about that a lot. Maybe we don't remember the context in which it comes. Um, we're reminded here of the strength of Christ's trust in his Father's will and the weakness of our ability to do the things that God has called us to do. And that's why we need to pray. Help us to do your will. Help us to renounce our own will and to do those things that are your will. Um, for your will alone is good. Um, and we want to see his kingdom come. We want to see his name be glorified. And so we want his will to be done. Um, his will alone is good. I said it, it can be difficult for us to think about renouncing our own wills um, because we, we feel like that gives us some measure of control over our lives. Um, to, to decide what I want to do, to try to, to follow my own program, try to follow the, the way I think life should go, and I think for all of us, even though we know it's not really true, we don't really con control our own circumstances, it gives us something of an illusion of control. And it is a difficult thing to hand yourself over to the Lord in that way. Um, it is a difficult thing. And if we, if we don't think it's a difficult thing, we should again look to the Lord in the garden. Um, because he knows that the, that the will of his Father involves a cross, Right? For him, a literal cross. For us, a cross that we have to carry and follow after the Lord. But one of the things that helps us in praying this prayer is to be reminded of that important, important phrase that's pointed out in the catechism. The Lord's will alone is good. So while there's a certain sense in which we can feel frightened a little bit at, at turning over our lives to the will of our Father in heaven, we're immediately reminded, well, his will alone is good. And the security that we take sometimes from doing our own thing and keeping our own counsel often turns around on us because we find our will is not good. Right? It's filled with sin. We can make mistakes. Um, and even of those of us who are wise and do you know, a good amount of planning and everything else, we can still be reminded from time to time that your strength can very quickly become your weakness. You can trust so much in your own ability to plan uh, that you don't see a possibility that you could be wrong. Um, or that your plan doesn't come to fruition, or you forget just how limited you are. Um, just how much your plans can be shattered by the plans of God. Um, how, how quickly your program and your will can be derailed by the things that God has determined to do. Um, you know, it's that, that old saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Um, you know, that's, that's nowhere in the scriptures, but we can understand where that comes from, right? I mean, um, I was thinking this week, my, my Hungarian relatives had a, had a saying that man proposes and God disposes. I'll spare you it in Hungarian, but um, they used to say that all the time. And it was just a reminder, you know, your, you, your will is not perfect. Your will is not good. Your will is not even capable of being exercised all the time. 
And that can be a kind of scary thing until you remember, but if I'm turning myself over to the will of the Lord, the will of the Lord is good. The will of the Lord is never anything but good for his people. Um, he, he never makes mistakes. He never has wisdom that he lacks. He never has things that he forgot to take into consideration. So many of the things that affects the plans we make. Right? His, his will alone is good. His will alone is acceptable and perfect. And so on the one hand, while it can seem a scary thing to want to turn yourself over to the will of God, it's actually the safest thing we can do. Because his will alone is good. And we want to do his will. We know that by nature we are sinners. There's much sin involved in our wills. Even the best of our works are are filthy rags. It's still corrupted by a lot of our sin and a lot of our weakness. His will alone is good. Um, And we we see that how we work it out in our lives all the time. We're supposed to put God first and our neighbors second, and we're constantly flipping that on its head. We put ourselves first. We put others maybe second, and God gets, you know, third thought way down the line. Um, we, We can mess up our wills in all sorts of ways. And so God's calling to us in his word is to abandon our wills, which are so filled with problems, and to surrender our wills to his will. His will, which alone is good, acceptable, and perfect. Um, And that is a serious matter. I'm not going to pretend that it's not a serious matter. It meant cross-bearing for our Lord. It means cross-bearing for us. Jesus said that in Matthew 16, 24 to 27. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Um, This isn't just sort of life advice. You know, sort of like tips for the new year on how to have a happier life, to do the will of God. This is life and death. Right? This is eternal life and death. Um, if you really want to want to find your life, you have to lose it for the sake of the Lord. This would have been the worst kind of evangelistic appeal in the ancient world to say, following Jesus means taking up your cross and following him. Because everyone in the ancient world knew what it meant when you saw someone walking by you with a cross. It meant they were about to be crucified on it. Right? This is not a seeker-sensitive way to share the gospel. But Jesus is not necessarily wanting us to make, not trying to make the message easy for us, but recognizing that we do have to count the cost in following, that it is a call to take up our cross and follow him. That he wants people who will do his will, who will submit themselves to him and to follow him where he leads trusting that his will alone is good, even when we can't see how. Um, So how do we obey God's will? Right, thy will be done. I want to do God's will. What is God's will for my life? You ever ask that question? Um, Maybe we tend to ask it more often when we're younger. 
Um, maybe when we're older, we've just given up trying to figure out what God's will is for our life. But that's the million-dollar question. There's books written about it. Everyone wants to know, what is God's will for my life? Um, and we need to understand when we talk about the will of God that we talk about it, we tend to talk about it in two different ways. God has a will for everything that's known to him. He had a purpose in doing everything when he made it to bring it to a completion and a fulfillment. He declared the end from the beginning. That's an amazing scope of what our God knows and what our God does. Everything he made, he made with an end in mind, a purpose to be fulfilled, and he's carrying out his purpose through all of history. He declared the end from the beginning. We, we call that God's decree, all of those things he's decreed to come to take the place. In that sense, that's God's will, but that's God's secret will. That's not the will of God that we can know. Again, that's really hard for us because we would like God to unravel that blueprint for us from time to time so that we could see what his plan is, especially when we can't understand what his plan would be. Right? That we sometimes think that if we could just get a look at the secret will just for a second and, and be able to chart where I am on that will for a second, then I could see what he's doing and then have confidence. Okay, now I see where I fit in the plan. Now I can roll it back up and trust you to carry it forward. And God's word tells us those are my secret things. God says those are my secret things. You don't get to know them. You don't need to know them. It really wouldn't do you any good to know them um, because I'm operating on such a higher level than you are. It wouldn't do you any good to see my plan. It, it would be incomprehensible to you. Right? We, just, we know what kind of a blueprint looks like and we just think, well, God's blueprint is just a big blueprint. It, it is in a sense, but it's an eternal blueprint. It's comprehensible by an eternal God and we are not eternal beings. We couldn't understand it even if we saw it. And that's, that's the comfort that Calvin took from thinking about God's plan. He said, it's, it's too much for us. We, we wouldn't be able to understand it and it wouldn't do us any good to be able to see it. And that's why he said, God comes to us in Deuteronomy 29 and says, the secret things belong to the Lord your God. You let me worry about my secret things, the things that I've purposed to do what I've decreed to do from beginning to end. That's really my business. And Calvin took a lot of comfort from, from Deuteronomy 29, 29, that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. There is his secret decree that's not knowable to us, but then there is his will that he's made known to us, what he commands in this world. And so when we pray thy will be done, we're not praying prayers just sort of without an end or without a focus that are just kind of unfocused. Help me to do your will in just sort of a general sense. And then we're left kind of in the wilderness to cast about for what God's will might be. Right? Think again of how Jesus is praying this prayer, thy will be done. He knows what the Father has called him to do. He said, I know what you will. I know what you've commanded. And I'm asking that that would change, that that would be taken from me. But not my will, but your will. That's not a casting around in the dark with no knowledge of what God commands. God's made his commands very clear. 
And I think when it comes to the question, what is the will of God for my life? Some of that is very clear. We we sometimes cast about as if there's this sort of will that I might get onto or get off of. And, you know, am I in the will of God or am I outside the will of God? You know, I've heard people talk that way. Um, That was very, that was not a way I was comfortable hearing having grown up reformed because I always heard God is a God of providence. God is a God in control. There's no such thing as being outside of his will, unless you mean you're doing something that he's commanded you not to do. Um, Then you are outside of the will of God and you ought to come back inside the will of God. But other than that, there's not this mysterious path that's been carved for you that you kind of run the car in of and out of as you go along. God is very clear about what his will is for your life. So I could probably make a lot of money by making this into a book and selling it, but I'm gonna give it to you free of charge. Tonight only. What is the will of God for your life? That you be saved. That you be saved from your sins. That's the will of God. That you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God is clear about that in his word. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what we exist for. That's what God's word exists for. We want people to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. I love how John puts it at the end of his gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is written so that you would know and so that you would be saved. That's God's will for your life, that you would be saved. Now you're saying, now how do you know that I'm one of the elect and not one of the elect? All right, now you're running into the secret decree of God. I'm talking about the revealed will of God. What is his will? That if you come to him, he will save you. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. God's will is for your salvation. God's will is also that we would be sanctified. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be sanctified. You know how I know this is the will of God? Because 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you to be holy. That's the will of God for your life. That's why the Holy Spirit is at work in us, conforming us. We have believed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ because he wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be holy. That's God's will for your life. To be saved, to be sanctified, and to be glorified. To be like Christ and to be with Christ in glory. That's what he prayed for. That was his high priestly prayer for us in John 17 before he went to his cross. That he wanted us to be glorified. It's a beautiful prayer in John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, and so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, And love them even as you loved me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What is God's will for your life? That you would see the glory of Christ. That you would be glorified with him and see his glory and know his love. Right? That, that's God's will for our lives. That's why it, it really shouldn't be a mystery what God's will for our lives is. All, it's all written down in the scriptures. He's told us everything we need to know, everything we need to believe, everything we need to do, everything we need to know for worship. It's all there in his word. That's the will for, for our lives from God. And then knowing those things, then we strive for faithfulness in his calling. Right? We, we strive to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to trust in him regardless of what circumstances face us in this world, which is hard. Um, it's hard for us because we live in a world that is so fixated on the present and does not live for the future. And Christians are called to be the opposite of that, to live in this present life with a focus on the future. Um, and that runs so contrary to the world in which we live. Um, and we can be pulled into thinking this present age is everything, or these present circumstances are everything. And when we lose sight of the eternal that God is working on, the eternal that he calls us to fix our eyes on, we can become very confused about what his purpose is. Uh, we can take our eyes off of the joy that awaits us and think only of the cross that afflicts us and become disoriented for a time. Um, I feel like, what is God doing? Um, it's only with that eternal perspective that you can begin to say, oh, I know what he's doing. He's preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. This has a focus on the future. There's a future in the mind, for, in, in the mind of God for his people, a future that will not disappoint, to which all of this is driving, for which all of this is preparing us, um, that all of this has a purpose. It can be easy for us to lose track of that. Um, and that's when we need to be reminded, what is God's will? His will is for me to be saved. I need to put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His will is for me to be sanctified. I need to follow the commands of the Lord where he's commanded me to go. There I should go, doing what he's called me to do. I should continue to worship God for being the kind of God that saves people like us and seeks to sanctify people like us and wants people like us with him in glory. That still is, is hard for me really to grasp when I read the high priestly prayer, that God wants people like us with him in glory. That that's the desire on the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as he's going to the cross, is to have a thought for us and to say, boy, I hope they'll see my glory. And not just hope it, but pray it as a certainty. Uh, because surely all the promises that, all the prayers that Jesus uttered to the Father are answered. If Jesus desires that we should see his glory, we will see his glory. And so we live in this life as, as faithful to what God has called us to do. Faithful to our callings together as a people of God, coming to worship his name, living life together as a church 
supporting one another in, in, in burdens that we carry, rejoicing when others rejoice, weeping with others when they weep, carrying one another. We worship God together. We do those things that are in common. We do those things that are individual callings the Lord has given us. We all have different callings we've been given in the families, in, in the workplace, in the church. We fulfill those callings. We do those things that he's called us to do. We do them for his glory. And we need God's help to do these things more and more because we're not just called to follow where God has led us, but we're also called to do that without any backtalk. Um, I like that part of the, the catechism. Help us to do your will without any backtalk. We're really good at talking back. Um, we're really good at saying, but God, what about this? Have you really thought about what this is going to do to me if I follow your will. Well, yes, he's thought about that. Um, and that, that's a very difficult thing for us to do, is to follow his will, to obey his will, to do those things we're called to do, and to do it without any backtalk. Um, that's a remarkable thing that, that Jesus is willing to say in his prayers. Um, not my will, but your will be done. Knowing what that will cost him. And to not talk back, but to pray to the Father, but yet to submit himself to the Father's will. It's an amazing thing to do. It's an amazingly difficult thing to do. Right? Even great saints have had trouble with this. Right? Moses did not exactly answer the voice from the burning bush, here I am, send me. He said, surely there's someone else better to send. I will give you a list of the reasons why I don't meet the qualifications for this job. Right? We, we can be very good at, at backtalk. What we need to do is turn ourselves over to God and we kind of come back to where we started. His will alone is good. It's not a rolling the dice in the dark to trust in the will of God. It's to actually do the thing that makes the most sense. Um, I, I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing is to hand your whole self all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We are trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure, ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. But isn't that a great summary? We, we want both. <laughs> Help me to do your will when, it's, when I think it's good and let me go my own way when I think that's good. And C.S. Lewis is so right. It's, it's, it's a kind of scary thing to say. I'm just going to turn myself over to God entirely. Whatever that means for me. But he said it's far easier than what we're trying to do on the other side of it, which is to keep it all ourselves and try to manage our own lives. Uh, later, Lewis says this, that's why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day. 
standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. I love that, that last image. It's just a howling of nonsense when we're trying to follow our own wills, trying to make our own way in the world. And going and submitting ourselves to God's will is like coming in out of the wind into the peace, into the serenity, to lose the howling of every voice that's saying this is good or that's good and just coming into knowing that one voice that alone is good tells us what's good and is dependable. And our prayer should so much be help us to do your will. Help us to do your will as much as the angels do it in heaven. Right? Um, to, to have that, to that be our mindset, to want to do God's will um, as, as fully as the angels do it in heaven. Right? Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Right? There's no, there's no back talk from angels in heaven. Right? There's, no, there's no angels that don't do what they're told to do. They're messengers of the Lord to those who inherit salvation, and they always do what they're told to do. That's the wonderful thing about the angels that serve the Lord. Um, <clears throat> one more quote for you, um, but I like what this guy had to say. There are no slackers in heaven. Angels never go on strike. They never demand a raise or hold out for more benefits. They never call in sick, show up late, or take long coffee breaks. Angels never complain. Night and day they work as well as they can, as fast as they can, and as cheerfully as they can. What makes angels such ideal employees is that they always follow instructions. Whatever the command, they say, your will be done, and then they do it. Right? Um, I, I, li I like that description because I wish that was true of me. That when the Lord said, do it, I just did it willingly and cheerfully. That's how they do it in heaven. Um, and one of the things we're praying for, again, is that God would fit us more and more for heaven. One day, I will do God's will as willingly and faithfully as the angels do it in heaven. But until I'm fully sanctified, I don't do it that way. And so I'm asking for God's help in those things. We want that kind of obedience as much as possible in this life so that we would glorify God's name. That's the purpose of this prayer. Is really just to say, fit me for heaven. Help me be the kind of person I want to be. That when I hear your will, I do it. Right? Because it's one thing to be Jesus in the garden praying, thy will be done. It's another thing to go to the cross. Um, and Jesus was able to not just say, thy will be done, but then to do it. Um, as willingly and cheerfully, and even more so, than the angels do it in heaven. That's what we're striving for. And that's why we need God's help. That's why it needs to come in the, prayer, in the form of a prayer. Lord, help us to be fitted for heaven. To do your will as readily and cheerfully as the angels do it in heaven. To renounce my will in favor of your will, which alone is good. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to trust in you with all our heart, to lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways to acknowledge you and to trust that you will make straight our paths. 
We're so tempted, Lord, to be wise in our own eyes, but help us to fear you and turn away from evil and to know that your promise is sure that when we do your will, it will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. So help us in this, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.